0: Students go to camp. So, if you have anything, you're doing some spring cleaning and you got some stuff to get rid of that's gently used, like not used underwear and gross stuff of that nature, we'll take your furniture, stuff like that. You know, look, if you're going to throw it away, just throw it away. You know, if it's like that, beat up. But if it can be used, if somebody else can, then you can swing it by the office 9 to 3, Monday through Thursday, uh, and that'll help students go to camp. Uh, We ask you that you check out every week the missions fundraisers that are going on in the commons. We're doing different things uh, all the time to help support global missions and uh, local missions as well. We want to remind you that tonight at 6 p.m. at the Area 51 building, the big black building on the hill, we have Sunday night school. That'll be with Jeff Craig. He's doing flow, teaching you how to flow with the Holy Spirit, teaching you how to be led by the Spirit. Uh, That'll be a good time, so avail yourself to that. And then also, we got a celebration we had been announcing Uh, that we were taking donations for the van for the Dominican Republic, and we have officially paid that thing for that thing completely. And so because you partnered with that, because of your generosity, we were able to completely pay for that thing, and so they're going to have a way easier time picking up students and sharing the gospel uh, with them in the Dominican Republic. So thank you all for that. Uh, We appreciate that. Uh, Now it's time for us to get into the Word, so I'm super excited. My favorite teacher uh, is here. I told first service he is the goat he 's one of the goats i 'm not saying he is a goat that means greatest of all time for those of you that don 't know that 's not an insult that 's a compliment coming from a millennial. Uh, we were at a conference this I believe it was this last year, and it was an end times conference and uh, uh, Pastor Bob, in, in one hour, just laid out clearly the end time events in the most simplistic way. And I remember walking away thinking, the end times is really not that difficult to understand. And that's thanks to Pastor Bob and his ministry gifts. So without further ado, would you please give a warm welcome to Pastor Bob Yandian as he comes up. Thank you.
1: And it is good to be here. I love this church. I love what Pastor Greg and Karen have done. And uh, just to look around and see what God has done is just great. And to be here, and like I said, this is one of my favorite churches to come. There's not that many churches today that have the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. There's usually one on each side, but to have that balance of it, that's exactly what you need. Uh, someone was questioning me the other day. so said, well, I got prayed for and I was delivered, but it didn't last long. I said, look, the Holy Spirit can set you free. The Word keeps you free you've got to have something to get you in so the Holy Spirit gets you born again. Yes. But to have a successful Christian life, now you've got to go to the word of God. And so it's great to have a church again, that, that knows the difference. And uh, again, it's great to be here with you. And I was going to be here last August, but my wife and I both got COVID at the same time. You could have shocked me when I got COVID. I thought I don't get sick, you know, and, and I know that Jesus has redeemed me on the cross. And so there's three things. One is eternal, that's eternal salvation. The other two are temporary, that's money and and healing. That's as long as you're here on the earth. But they're all three divided and the Lord provided for it. And so I had to go back and really kind of like look at the foundation of this thing. And because I did get COVID, I was looking at like, Lord, how do I handle this? And the Lord began to show me some things. Again, I kind of went back to basics on healing and everything else. The Lord brought me to 3 John 2 Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. He said as a Christian, health comes to you as you walk with God daily, as your soul prospers. Prosperity and healing increase. He said I I, I ask you this, you know, how do you believe in divine healing? How do you believe in divine health? Health is a product later on as you're walking with the Lord that you may not walk in the beginning, but you have divine healing. And uh, let me ask you another question. How many of you are saved? You accepted Jesus. Okay. How many you know you're saved from sin? How many how you believe you're righteous, the righteousness of God? But do you still sin once in a while? Don't look at me so pious. Yes, you do. And you know that. But do you get down on the ground and hurt and scream and cry, why did I do this? No, you stand up, dust yourself off and say, Father, forgive me and keep on going. Just get back, get back in the race. And the Lord began to show me that, even financial. Do you believe in prosperity? Yes. Do you believe in a walk of prosperity? Yes. And the Lord said, do you ever have financial setbacks? Yes. But they don't last that long. And you have far less than I used to. Understand? It's like sin. When's the last time you sinned? You often have to stop and think about that. Not that you want to think about it, but you know. When's the last time? And it stopped to think about it. I know I blew it last week, but I can't remember the last time. In other words, you're getting further and further apart because you progress as your soul prospers. That's when I begin to look at healing. Yeah, I know I got sick, but when's the last time I even got sick? And on top of that, it didn't last that long. It was over pretty quick. I look at how God has brought me up, and, and I'm a whole lot better than I used to be. And should the Lord not come back for another 10 years, I'll be better then than I am now. Amen? That's the way the walk of God is. So again, I couldn't make it here. I really did not want to miss coming here. I enjoy coming to the church, but I twisted Pastor Greg's arm and told him, please have me back. Just please. He said, I'm not sure. I said, oh, please, please. But anyway, he invited me back and it's great to be here. I enjoy being here to minister the word of God with you. Things on the table. I'm a teaching today out of this book called, Why Did This Happen? This basically is every Christian has something comes to them, like with COVID, that you go, how did this happen? I don't understand this. Now listen, as much as you know, there's still things you don't know. Okay? If you know everything, you don't belong here. Okay? Start your own church out there somewhere, okay? If you know everything. But again, it's called, why did this happen? This is taken from some of the things like with David's David's problem in his life with Bathsheba and all that. But simply comes back to this. You'll never come to a time in your life where you have no problems. And there'll, there'll never come to a time where some problems don't hit you that you go, how did this happen? Where did this come from? And uh, so I'm ministering from this concept. It's not exactly what I have today, but this is the book that covers what I'm covering this morning. And that's out there on the table, The Grace of Healing. Every book I've ever written on, or read on healing mainly comes about 90% from the side of, say, of faith. Here's your faith for healing. Here's how you get healed. I wanted to give a book that came from the side of God called Grace. This is the grace of healing. What God did for you. Listen, I know I'm saved by my faith, but listen, faith has to receive God's grace. Without grace, faith has nothing to receive. In other words, grace is God's full hand and faith is your empty hand, reaching out to God's full hand to receive of salvation for healing. How can you brag about your empty hand? Why don't you brag on God's full hand? that has everything pertaining to life and godliness. That's what this is on. And then I bring up how that God, even it, it, his name is healing. He's the God who heals us, Jehovah Rapha. And on top of that, healing is everywhere. It's all around us. If God is, is a God that wants you sick, why did he put all this medicine in, in the, in around us? I mean, aspirin comes from willow trees. It's been there since the Garden of Eden. We just discovered it a few, you know, some odd years ago, we discovered aspirin. It's been there all the time. God puts that out there. Every drug that doctors have come up with to help, you know, heal you or bring healing to you has been here. It's put there by God. And so it really comes back to if God did that, plus your body is designed to keep itself well. You cut yourself, and man, white blood cells run there and start to protect. If God is for sickness, why did he make your body want to heal itself? All right, and that's brought out. And so Chapter 3 is probably one of the best chapters in here. If you read Chapter 3, you're going to finally say, thank God somebody spoke on that subject. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You've got to buy the book. It's called The Grace of Healing. But you'll read Chapter 3 and go, oh, the book was worth twice that just for that one chapter in the book. Theology Simplified is a course I teach at Andrew Womack's Bible College. Theology Simplified, I love to take difficult-sounding words and make them simple. And that's what this book is about. And so I take up words like sanctification and and propitiation and redemption. Propitiation is really a big word. And the the Rolling Stones sang about it, can't get no propitiation. (laughs) It simply means satisfaction. That's what the word means. And when, listen, all the Old Testament sacrifices, God was temporarily appeased with every one of them. Until the next one came along. Then the next one came along. But only for the moment. When Jesus Christ arose from the dead, God said, I am eternally satisfied. Never need another sacrifice again. No other sacrifice. Once that Jesus came, all sacrifices stopped because his was eternal. And God was eternally satisfied. The one of the five senses attached to propitiation is the sense of smell. Smell is the closest to your memory of any of the other five senses. You can actually see something, remember things, hear something, but if you smell something, the whole memory comes back. My wife and I, after we we got married, we were, you know, I couldn't believe how much groceries cost when we first got married. My mom and dad had always bought groceries, not me. My wife and I went shopping the first time. We filled our basket, it cost $40, and I thought, oh my goodness, I could buy a stereo for my car for $40 and we're gonna have this food gone in a week and a half. Well, you know, what's wrong with this whole concept? But we were in the grocery store and we walked, I walked through the, you know, the, where the toothpaste and all that stuff is. And they had men's cologne there. And I saw a bottle of Jade East. I used to wear Jade East in high school. You might remember Jade East? Thank you for that hand back there. Didn't smell very good, but I thought I used to wear that. So I opened up the bottle and sniffed it, and I was no longer standing in the grocery store. I was in the back seat of a convertible going through the local drive-in with getting hamburgers and stuff with all the kids in the car. My memory just went back there. A smell brought that back. Just that odor brought that back. And when Jesus Christ arose from the dead, God went, I'm eternally satisfied. Amen. Amen. I grew up in Pentecost. We used to sing a song, I am satisfied, I am satisfied. Who gives a rip if you're satisfied? I'm just glad God was satisfied, aren't you? Because I can be satisfied today and not satisfied tomorrow, but God is eternally satisfied with the work of Jesus on the cross. That's back there. And then there's, there's flash drives back there too. Flash drives have replaced almost everything. So one thing I recommend about flash drives and CDs and stuff like that, the best place to listen to them is in your car. That is the most useless time you have. You either listen to classic rock or country music. I'm not stepping on anybody's toes. The same songs you've heard over and over and over again. Or you listen to, you know, to news radio or something, which they just do nothing but depress you. And to make sure they really depress you, you hear the same thing all day long, just the same story all day long. Why not get in the car and occupy yourself with the word of God? I have found I can hear a sermon, half the sermon going to the office, the other half coming back, and get through an entire sermon a day. Your life will change drastically. If you feel you're those off times where there's really non productive times and produce the Word of God in there, it'll change your life. I've got one flash drive back there. They're all on subjects, but I've got one on everything I taught on the New Testament. It's $500, but it's 480 hours of teaching plus eight e-books on it. One lady bought it and said, I'm going to listen to this forever. I hope the rapture doesn't come because I want to get through this entire thing. But anyway, she contacted me a year later and said, my life is so changed. Listening to the word of God every day and a sermon every day, my life is so changed. She said, I've been born again for 30 years. I've never been this stable as I am now by hearing the word of God every single day. And on top of that, one revelation is worth whatever you pay for that flash drive or that CD. You might talk about the price of it, but one revelation will change your life forever. You can't get that from magazines. The Rolling Stones or the Beatles, you can't get it from them. You know, Clint Black or whoever, you can't get it from them. But you can get it from the Holy Spirit. That was a paid commercial. Open with me to Job chapter 19 this morning. Job the 19th chapter. This is from, you say, oh, that's the Old Testament. Yes, Job is back there where the pages are white and still stuck together, okay? So open to Job chapter 19. Job is part of those things where people say, oh, that's the Old Testament. You ever wondered why the Old Testament is filled with such gigantic, wild stories? In fact, 1 Corinthians 10 tells you the Old Testament was given to us for examples. I admonish ministers all the time. Quit giving your stories all the time. I mean, that might be all right you went fishing last week, but that's not gonna add to the story a whole lot. You know, those things are okay, but why not use the Old Testament as examples for New Testament doctrine? If you're teaching from the New Testament, something happened like that back in the Old Testament, which will blow your mind. I simply ask you this, you've got some problems. Have you ever stood in front of an ocean that needed to be parted? They did in the Old Testament. Yeah, I mean, those those things just happened back there. You ever been swallowed by a whale? I mean, you've got problems, but not like they did back there. All I'm saying is, folks, if you read those problems, you'll think, well, God can certainly get me through this financial mess if he can split a Red Sea and, and get a guy out of a whale's belly and on top of that survive an ocean that conquered the world and flooded the entire, flooded the entire world and only eight people survived. I haven't faced anything like that. If God could bring a family through that, then God can certainly bring me through this financial mess I'm in right now. So that's why the Old Testament stories were written back there. When's the last time you stood in front of a wall that was so tall you couldn't see over it, and God had to literally level it, take it all the way down the ground, make it flat ground so you could walk across it? That's what God did, you know, when the children of Israel came into the land of Canaan, and uh, that's what he'll do for you. It's simply saying if God could do that, he'll certainly do it for you. And that's why we have an entire chapter in Hebrews 11 of all the heroes of faith. Look at what they did, and it makes your job look pretty small. we're going to talk about Job this morning. And in Job chapter 19, Job is facing a dilemma. Let me ask you this. Has anybody ever been in a situation where you thought things couldn't get any worse and then the bottom fell out from under you? Can I see a hand? Thank you. Once in a while, somebody's honest enough to say yes. Anybody ever thought about just giving up at that time because it got so bad? You thought about giving up? Well, that's exactly where Job was. Job's problems were not God. Job's problems were the devil. Now, his perception of it was it was God doing this to him. And so his friends, that was their... That's why when you read through the book, you say, well, look, God, did it because all his friends are saying that. No, go back to the first two chapters. It will tell you all of Job's problems were the devil. And God delivered him out of it. In fact, Job's problems only lasted nine months. We think it took years in nine months, he came through this thing and ended up with twice as much as he had before, twice as much cattle, twice as much property. His blessings just increased tremendously. And all God told the devil was, because the devil said, you've got to wedge up a wall of protection. And he said, yes, I do, but there's an edge to that wall. You're free to do all this in here, but you can't kill him. And, he, and the devil said, well, good, I'm going to give him to curse you. And God said, he won't do it. I know his integrity. And there was times he was tempted, just like there's times you've been tempted. To finally just throw in the towel, say, forget this Christian life. I'm walking away from it because something happened that you didn't understand. Job's going to answer that problem because Job in chapter 19, let me tell you where Job came from at this point as, before we read the verse. His wife, his children, his best friends, his close friends turned on him. He had problems hardly any human being has ever had. That's why we go back to the Old Testament because if God can bring Job through this, he can bring you through your problems. He lost his finances. He lost his home. He lost his cattle. He lost his crops. His children died. He broke out in boils and scabs that drained and bled. His wife told him to curse God and die. And it seemed like God was not answering him. And in chapter 19, we find it almost came to this climax right here. Everything that could happen to him happened, and now the bottom dropped out from under him. And he's wondering, what is going on? And his friends are telling him, curse God and die. His wife is telling him, curse God and die. And when things got literally as bad as they could, and the bottom dropped out from under him, that's when God spoke to him. Anybody ever been there? You thought things couldn't get worse? The bottom dropped out and finally God spoke. And you thought, what took
0: you so long?
1: It's basically God just telling you, I speak when I want to. God is seldom early, but he's never late. And so God spoke to him. And the moment he did, it was like Job was going, I don't understand. All of a sudden Job went, and he got a revelation. And it's in this verse of scripture. David did this one time. David was just the king, happy as could be. Things were going good, but he didn't know his son Absalom was wanting to overthrow him. So Absalom stayed out at the gate for four years. For four years, Absalom sat at the gate as people came through to the city, and he talked to him, said, hi. And they go, hi. And he'd say, I'm Absalom. I'm the, I'm the king's son. Oh, that's fine. After a while, he got to be known. He stayed there for four years. He greeted people walking in, said, what are you here for? Well, this guy next to me is trying to steal some property from me. I've got to go sit on a court. And he goes, oh, man. He said, I wish I was the king. I know what you're going through. I would appoint more judges, because it's going to take you a long time. There's such a backup in the courts for you to get in there. I wish I was king because I'd do it this way. And they'd go on through. He did this every day for four years. And then finally, David didn't even know this. David's man came in and said, you know, Absalom's been out there for four years doing this. He said, no. He said, listen, David, I don't want to pour, you know, pour some bad news on you, but he has won everybody's hearts from Dan to Beersheba. That means across the entire nation, everybody loves your son. And now he's going to try to overthrow you. David David was shocked. He didn't know anybody ever had something happen and you didn't even know what was going on and later on found out about it there where have i been how how come i didn't know this david didn't know it and so it finally ended up his son tried to overthrow david and uh, david was so down david david was despair and in the psalms he wrote about in this and in samuel it's written about it david was in such despair because he couldn't seem to get anything right and then he thought nothing could get worse until his servant walked in and said sir he said, you're, you're Ahithophel, that's your finest war counselor. Ahithophel has turned against you and gone with your son. Ahithophel was his war counselor. If there's anybody that knew all of David's secrets and how he did battle, it was Ahithophel. And David probably thought, are you kidding? I thought things couldn't get any worse than this. My son's trying to take over. Now my best friend, my best counselor has turned and gone with him. If he wants to know anything of how I, how I maneuver my armies, how I operate in the field, it's going to be Ahithophel. And the moment that happened, David suddenly went, and a revelation hit him. And the revelation was this. He said, let the counsel of Ahithophel be turned into foolishness. And that's exactly what happened. The counsel that Ahithophel gave was the finest counsel that Absalom could have had. But Absalom was so young and stupid, he couldn't see it. He'd never been a king. He was just a young upstart. And here he is, and so he asked him, what should I do? Here's what Ahithophel said. He said, don't take your whole army and go after him. I can just tell you right now, I know David. He's out there somewhere beating himself up, and that's what David was doing. He's out this place. Beth Ammerbach was where he was, the city afar off. He was in this place beating himself up, and, and so when, the, when this news came to him, and what Ahithophel said was, he's out there somewhere beating himself up. He's trying to figure out where he went wrong. He always blames himself for everything and examines himself. He says, while he's in this condition, just send out a few assassins with some daggers and kill him. But don't send the army out after him. That'd be stupid. And so... You know, Absalom said, okay, and he turned to his friends and said, what do you think I'd do?" And they said, no, no, that's not the good counsel. Send every army you have out there. Just overwhelm him and show your power and your might, and that appealed to his ego. And the moment he said that, Ahithophel went, oops, I bet on the wrong one. I've lost everything. And Ahithophel went out and hanged himself for what he had done. From one simple word, let the counsel of Ahithophel be turned into foolishness. I'm simply saying God doesn't always come through when you want him to, but when the answer comes, it's like ah, a revelation hits you. And this is exactly what happened to Job. Job was so down, so despondent, so he went, ah, and what he yelled was this. Look with me here at chapter 19 of Job, verse 23. And down through verse 27 is where we're reading, Oh, that my words were written. He suddenly said, Oh, I got something, a revelation. Grab a pen. Grab a pad, write this down. No, no, no. In fact, get a big piece of granite and engrave it in granite. Oh no, no. Go further than that. Melt some lead into the letters you have just etched out, so it'll be kept forever. This is what he said. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. No, no, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and molten lead forever. In the ancient world, when kings or great dignitaries died, they took granite and engraved it on it, then they Poured into it liquid lead that would dry and turn cool and, and it would outlast the rock. The rock would go on for a while, but these letters would still be there and it could go on for centuries. I love what he said because God would, no, no, no. Uh-uh. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to inscribe it in the lambs, I'm going to describe it in the word of God that lasts forever and forever and forever. I'm going to outlive granite. I'm going to outlive lead. I'm going to have this inscription because what you're about to say will inspire people for generations. They think they couldn't get any worse, and now the bottom's dropped out from them, and now they're down at the very bottom. There's no further to fall, and now, again, Job had the answer. Look what it goes on to say in verse 24. Oh, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pin and lead forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall not behold another, how my heart yearns within me. He said, guys, I just got a revelation. He's been down. He's got scabs. He's got boils. They're all draining. His wife is telling him to curse God. He's lost his children. Every possession he had, he's sitting there just, you know, in heaps of ashes around himself, and all of a sudden he looks up and says, I've got a revelation, just like David did when things could not possibly get worse. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. And I know one day when this skin is gone in my brand new flesh, I will see him. And he will be on this earth and he will reign forever. Let me just tell you the importance of this verse of scripture and the total lack of understanding of this verse. Job was not a Jew. Job lived in the land of Uz. This is in the opening verse of the book of Job. He lived in a foreign country. He lived hundreds of miles away in a foreign country, and he's a contemporary of Abraham. He lived at the same time Abraham did. Let me tell you what's so strange about this. He said, I'm going to die, and this flesh is going to be destroyed, but one day I'll have a resurrection body, and I will see my Redeemer on the earth. He said this, and there was no Bibles. There was no Bibles in Abraham's day. The first first books of the Bible were written by Moses hundreds of years later. And now he's there saying these things. And to realize that without any Bible, without being a Jew, without being around the place where the Bible was written, he had all this, it simply comes back to it. Folks, it doesn't matter. He was a prophet. And the same Holy Spirit was in the land of us. that's over here in the land of Canaan. And over here where Abraham was living at the time, he probably never met Abraham till he died. Abraham died. They saw each other in paradise, but they were contemporaries of each other. And here he is saying this. In fact, it's interesting. There were so many revelations that come through here. He had a revelation of the mediatorship of Jesus back in chapter nine. What he said back in chapter nine was he said, God's over here and he's righteous. I'm over here and I'm a fallen man. How can we ever get together? The reason why I can't get with God is because he's righteous and can have no contact with me because I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner and I can have no contact with God because he's righteous. How can we ever get together? Oh, I wish there was a mediator that could stand between us and put one hand on God and one hand on me and unite the two impossibilities together. He was prophesying of Jesus Christ, the God-man, that would place one hand on God and one hand on man and unite the two impossibilities together. And that's how he declared it. And so here we have this in this verse of Scripture, but I want you to notice something. What he simply stopped and said was, I know my Redeemer lives. Here's the key. When you don't know what to do, fall back on what you do know. Don't throw away what you know because of what you don't know. Hang on to what you know. God will reveal what you don't know. But so often we run into a situation we don't know what to do and we want to throw everything away that we've learned up until that point. The thing of it is, hang on. God will show you, because you're never going to reach a place in life where you know everything. In fact, that's what the eternity is for, to show you things you never understood down here. But you hang around long enough, and most of your questions will get answered. But God will show it to you at the right time. But don't throw them all away. Have you ever wondered why we're going to be in heaven forever? He's got to straighten all of us out. That's going to take forever. (laughs) In fact, you may find out some things you've hung on to your whole life really weren't right in the first place, okay? So, again, this is what he did. So, what he was, again, he wanted this shout to his dilemma to be engraved in stone, then the letters filled with molten lead to last for centuries, yet he received something better than a rock that may last forever, that will last forever. His faith filled shout is inscribed in the Word of God and has been there since the time of Abraham, back there in the manuscripts that was written for this book. Again, how did he know he would see a redeemer with his own eyes? Job knew he would die one day, his flesh would decay. How did he know he would have a new body that would actually stand on this earth and see the Lord Jesus Christ? It's because he was a prophet and he knew the things because of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit shared things with him in this country. He shared with others back in the land of Israel. So Job again fell back on what he knew. Again, we're going to say this over and over again. I'm going to say this over and over again through this sermon. Don't throw away what you know because of what you don't know. Stick with what you know, and God will explain to you what you don't know. And that's the whole Christian life. In fact, what I'm here to tell you is this. You say, well, I don't know much. What little you know will carry you through. You'll be surprised at what you do know if you'll stop and rehearse what you have. I believe that that's what the Scripture means when it says, forget not all of his benefits. I think when you learn something new, you need to write it down. I do think you need, when you go through a, through a testimony time, you need to write that thing down, the date it happened, how God brought you out. And you need to journal those things so that I think at least once a week, when you wake up in the morning, look over some of the things that happened in the past few years, those milestones that changed your life. And it'll suddenly make you stop and realize, I thought this situation was bad. I've gone through worse. And God brought me through. But you forgot about it. That's why it says, forget not. Forget not all his benefits because there's going to be a day you'll need to stand up and take those things back out and remember what God has brought you through. Let's talk about the circumstances of life. You know, We're facing some difficult times right now with our nation, with the world. All I can tell you is what Jesus said was, don't try to figure it all out. Just look up. Your redemption is coming soon. I don't know all the things going on behind the scenes in Washington, in Moscow, in Beijing, In other countries. I don't know what all is going on behind the scenes, but guess what? I serve a God that knows exactly what's going on behind the scenes. If you ever want to read a good Psalm, read Psalm 1. It is fun. Then go to Psalm 2, because Psalm 1 tells you it's protecting. Psalm 2 tells you how that, how you'd like to be sometime a fly on the wall and be in the White House and listen to what's going on? Just, okay? Guess what? We have a fly on the wall. It's God. <laughs> and he wrote in, in in the second Psalm, after the first Psalm of his keeping power, he now brings you to verse two and says, Don't worry about the world. He says, I know what's going on. It says, the kings come together in council and say, Let's take their chains and throw them away from us. Because they've got us in chains. He's talking about the people of God. These people down here, it's like they've got chains around us. We can't break loose of these things. If we break loose of these chains, because we're going to destroy them, we're going to destroy God and all that. And it says in that same verse, it says, God that sits in the heavens will laugh. It says, next of all, he'll have them in derision. You know what the word derision means? It comes from the word deride, to make fun of. God sits in the heaven, looks at Jesus, said, they're going to overthrow us. (laughs) They said they're going to destroy the church. And Jesus goes, ha, ha, you mean the one I said the gates of hell would not prevail against? Yes, they're going to destroy it. And Jesus goes, like, whoa, we need to be afraid, don't we? And they begin to make fun of them. Then he goes on to say, once that's over, God's anger starts to rise up. He said, you'll face me all right, but you'll face me in my holy mountain. This means it's all going to happen in Jerusalem when that last battle takes place and Jesus Christ comes back and destroys those armies. It's going to happen on that day, and God says, "I'm going to win in the end." He said, "Here's the good news: you may not need to, you may not know what's going on in Washington. You don't need to know what's going on. You don't need to know what's going on in the halls back there of Congress and Senate because I'm the one listening to it, and I can tell you it's a bunch of foolishness. They're not going to overthrow us. They're not going to overthrow God. When the end comes, I'm going to throw Satan off the planet, all the demons off the planet, the fallen angels. I'm going to throw the Antichrist, the false prophet, the beast. I'm going to throw all religion off the earth, every unbeliever off the earth, and finally." I'm and remove the curse that was placed here at the time of Adam, and when Jesus Christ sits on his throne, the trees will clap their hands. The oceans will rejoice at the coming of Jesus Christ. That's what the earth is going to be, so I read the end of the book, and so you know what I like about, about the book of Revelation? It's like DVRing history. You wonder what's going to happen? Well, just zip down to the end of it. anybody, you know, anybody ever recorded a football game because your friends couldn't be there, and they tell you when they come back over, don't tell us the end score. Don't tell us you're going okay, and you sit there because you're calm. You know the end score, see. The whole world's out there freaking out. Christians are freaking out everywhere. No, just DVR down to the end. You find out, oh, it looked like we were behind. It looked like, you know, that Satan was winning. And Jesus threw a Hail Mary and it went all the way down there and landed in the, you know, this guy's arms and we won the game. We win the game. I just saw the end of it. So I'm not worried at all about what Putin says. I'm not worried at all about what Xi says. I'm not worried about all what our president's thinking. I don't care how the, I mean, I don't like the way they're voting in Congress, but you know what? If they keep voting that way, they're not going to face me. They're going to face God one of these days. And I've read the end of it, we win. So that's why I said, you know what? All these things he said, but understand, I'll take care of you. Look up, your redemption is very, very close for his coming back. That's just good preaching, Bob. Thank you so much. Hallelujah. Well, we all face the circumstances of life and things don't look so good right now in our nation, even in the world. But again, we know. And so uh, look with me at Romans chapter eight. You say, well, how are things gonna work out? I don't know. We've got a lot of prophets telling us how it's going to turn out. I'm just going to wait and see what happens, okay? If I can't find in the Bible and you tell me this is what the Holy Spirit's telling you, I'll wait and see if that's what happens. Man, you know, but what this is simply telling us here is, you know, we look around us. There's food shortages. They're talking about fuel not being available, electricity predicted. Well, you know, after a while, we may not have electricity. How's it all going to work out? What if we face times of famine? We see food shortages around us. So what if we face those times? Well, God said in the Word of God he'd take care of us in famine. I'm going to give you a little secret. He hasn't lost the recipe for manna. It's in a drawer in the kitchen of heaven. He'll just pull down out and go, let's make some more manna and <laughs> send it down to the earth. Because you know what? There was no bakery in the wilderness. There was no doctor's offices in the wilderness. When they, left, when they left the land of Egypt, I mean, they came out and there was not a feeble one among them and they came out with the riches of Egypt. God took care of them. And when there was no food, they woke up every morning. There was food on the ground. That's the way my God is. And again, he's my savior. He's my redeemer. He's my provider. He's my keeper. You say, that's kind of fantasy. No, it's reality. It's in the word of God. And I'll believe God's word over anything else because you know what? It's never, ever let me down. He's always come through successfully. So here was Paul, and he's facing difficult times in prison. And here in chapter 8 of Romans, he says in verse 28, and we know, sound familiar? I know my Redeemer lives, and Paul says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he called, whom he called, he justified, whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things, the problems of life, if God is for us, who can be a against us what problems was he talking about well verse 35 goes on to explain the problems tribulation distress persecutions famine nakedness peril sword war It's simply saying all these things are coming. He says, what shall we then say to these things? What we say to these things, if God be for me, you can't be against me. In other words, you take what you know and you quote it to the circumstances of life and you quote it directly to the devil's face. When Satan tempted Jesus, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Fall back on what you do. Know what? Paul was simply saying here, I'm in prison. I don't like it. I didn't plan on all this happening. I have no food. There's rats running everywhere. What am I supposed to do? I know all things work together for good. I didn't say all things are good, but I know the evil that's happening to me right now will turn around and work for my good because I serve a savior that has always done it every single time. I like what he says in this verse of scripture. All things work together for good. He did not say all things are good because we live in a fallen world. But I serve a God that can take the evil people throw at me and the evil that Satan throws at me and nothing is bigger than my God. He can take it, work it around and make it work together for my good. In fact, in the Bible, there was times when armies were fighting against Israel and God showed up and the enemy basically just surrendered and came over and fought with Israel against the enemy. You mean actually the circumstances of life can work for me? Yes. Yes. God can turn it all around. Just keep your trust in him. My mother made the best chocolate cake of anybody. I don't care what you say. I don't care how good you think your chocolate cake is. My mom had the best chocolate cake. I remember being very, very young and she was making chocolate cake and I could just smell it, all that. And I reached up on the counter up there and I took, and took a taste and it was flour. Flour doesn't taste good. A little bit of salt, I tasted that. Baking soda, tasted that. I taste all the stuff and I thought, how in the world can mom get a cake out of this? But that's the way the circumstances of life is. God can take all those yucky ingredients of life and stir it up, stick it in the oven, and come out with a chocolate cake every single time. (laughs) How does it happen? I don't know, but I don't care, okay? All I know is I like the chocolate cake. I don't care all the ingredients that are in it, and the things that happen to me in life all get blended together, and out of it all I know What he says in this verse of Scripture, all things will work together for my good. Look down with me, if you would, here. At verse 30, it says, actually in verse 29, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Then he goes over beyond that and says, beyond predestined, here's what he happened. For whom he did predestine, he also called. I want you to notice that the word predestined, actually is predestined here, is past tense. He predestined us. I also want you to notice the next word called is past tense. I want you to notice the next word justified is past tense. And I want you to notice the next word he talked about is the word glorified in his past tense. How many of you have been born again? Okay. How many of you know you've got a call on your life to see your hand? How have you been justified because you've received Jesus? All that stuff was planned for you before the foundation of the world, and you've passed that point. You've been justified when you received Jesus and all that. We come down to justified and called, but the last one is glorified. How have you been glorified? No, you haven't that's your resurrection body. But I want you to notice it's just as much past tense as all the other words were. It's a done deal. You mean God already sees me glorified? Yeah. You haven't got there yet. I know. But just like from the, from the foundation of the word, world, he saw Bobby, me, at five years old, come down to an altar, receive Jesus, and it didn't take God by surprise when I did it. He already had a plan for me. Because he knew I would receive Jesus, he had a plan just all set out for me. I stepped in the first part of it, I was justified. I stepped in the next part, I received Jesus as my Savior. All these different things. But the last part of it yet has not been done, but God saw it also from the foundation of the world. And one day I'll have a glorified body, just like Job said, I know in this flesh I will see him. I know I've got a glorified body coming, and it's a done deal. It's not something God says maybe, no, it's a done deal. And God said, you will have that. In other words, God doesn't just see me standing here in front of you today here at Lake Church. No, God sees me about a million years from now standing in front of the throne of God in a resurrection body. He already sees that. He said, Bob, that's a done deal. It's gonna happen. If you could DVR history about a million years from now, you'd see that you're standing around the throne of God in heaven. What does that mean? God already sees me in heaven in a resurrection body. Hmm. That must mean I'm going to get through this problem. And I must be going to get through the next problem. And the next problem. And the next problem. And it suddenly gets you this peace in life. If God's got my eternity already settled, then all this is going to have to take place and God's going to take care of me every single day, every single moment. Why should I get worried? I know in whom I have believed. Or probably I know all things work together together. For good. So again, don't throw away what you know for what you don't know. In this midst of him being in prison, he suddenly had a revelation. No, I know all things work together for good. When you don't know what to do, fall back on what you do know. If you fall back on what you do know, God will answer what you don't know. Don't throw away what you know because of what you don't know. Okay, look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let me ask you this. Have you been saved for at least 10 years, okay? Have any of you ever, during those 10 years, ever got to a place where one day you wondered, am I really saved? I think we all have. I was raised in a Christian home. My dad was a preacher. I accepted Jesus when I was five years old, but there's certain days, anybody vouch for this, there's certain days you don't even know if God's close to you. He could, it seemed like he's a million miles away and you feel pretty much deserted. How do you know your feelings don't matter? The word of God says you're saved. You have to fall back on the word. So, in those cases, don't fall back on what you feel, fall back on what you know. And God will answer how you feel, because feelings can change from day to day. And so, but the word never does change. So, this is what happened when Paul. Paul faced this same thing. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. And Paul is in prison. And in verse 12, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, for this reason, that is, I'm called to be a preacher. That was in the previous verse, verse 11. For the reason that I'm called to be a preacher, also I suffer these things. That's prison, verse 8. He says in verse 8, I'm in prison. I'm suffering for these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day or until that day. What is he saying? Paul is simply saying this verse of scripture, I'm sitting here in this prison. I never thought all this stuff would happen to me. I feel like God's a million miles away. All I get is clanging and banging around me of all the the military coming through here. They yell at me, they scream at me. I don't get very good food. He's in that room and he suddenly starts wondering, I wonder if I really am safe because I shouldn't be going through all this now that I'm a Christian. All these thoughts are going through and he suddenly goes, no, I know in whom I have believed. On top of that, I'm persuaded he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. In other words, what he said was this. It was up to me to believe in him. It's up to him to keep me. I don't keep myself. I don't do God's job, and he doesn't do mine. He doesn't believe for more, and I keep myself. I'm the one that believes, and he's the one who keeps me. I don't care what I feel like. I'm being kept by the power of God. I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. 1 John 5, 13 says, These things I have written to you. This is John speaking. Who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. What happens when you begin to doubt your salvation? Come back to the word of God that you know. I know what the word says. I did Romans 10, 9 and 10. I put my faith in Jesus. I confessed him as my Lord and Savior and that God raised him from the dead. Therefore, I don't care what I feel like Satan. You can tell Tell me all you want to. I believed in Jesus, and according to this verse of Scripture, I don't keep myself. God keeps me. Hallelujah. Look at Philippians chapter 4. What happened to Paul in in prison? He simply did not throw away what he knew because of what he didn't know. (coughs) He stuck with what he knows. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Not only do you know the word, it's up to you to speak it. And now he says in Philippians chapter four, verse 11 through 13, not that I speak in respect of want. Right now he says, I'm not in a desperate place, but my faith is still the same. I don't have more faith because things are going good than I had when things were going bad. My faith is used in all situations. He says again, not that I speak in respect of want. I Right now I'm not in any financial need, for I have learned, say I have learned, I have learned in whatever state I am in it to be content. I know how to be abased. Say, I know. I know how to be abased. And I know, say, I know, how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed. Say, I am instructed. Both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How often have we just quoted that part of the verse? Well, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Go back for just a moment. Before he said, I can do all things, he said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content, I know how to be abased, I know how to abound, everywhere in all things, I am instructed, therefore I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Understand this. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, but there's four times more learning than there is doing. I have learned. I have learned. I know. I know. I am instructed. Folks, listen to me. He said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. Contentment is not a feeling. Contentment is learned. Fall back on what you know and contentment will be there. Feelings follow what you know. And especially what you confess, you speak to the circumstances of life around you. And again, in the midst of all that, Paul did not throw away what he knew because of what he did not know. Again, there are a lot of things Job didn't know, did not know. He was faced with anger, opinions disgust from his friends, his family. Paul had no quick answers when faced with problems. The wrath of Satan was behind the problems of his life as well as the problems of Job. Problems with friends, problems with ministers, problems with government attacks, to call and preach the gospel. Paul faced all these situations. In fact, in the closing of the book of Second Timothy, the last book that Paul wrote as he was in prison about to die, he reflected on the fact he was in prison, said, Timothy, everybody forsook me but you. Even my friends forsook me. This is what Job went through. His friends forsook him. He said, he said you know, uh, He mentioned their different names. He said, you know, that this one forsook me, that one left me, this one deserted me, this one went after this present world. I'm still here. He said, when I went for a trial and I I was in court, he said, Timothy, you were the only one that came and stood by me in that courtroom. And now he said, they're all gone again. He said, I'm about to go to prison. And guess who was still sticking with him? Thank God for the Timothys of life. Even those that Paul thought he could put his trust in deserted him. And oftentimes we put our trust in friends and our friends let us down. Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He will never leave you or never forsake you. And Paul might have thought he was alone in that time when he was standing in court. No, no, no. Jesus was right beside him. And we need to understand that. That's why at the very close, I love what he told Timothy then. He said, bring my parchments and bring my coat. In other words, everybody's forsook me, but please bring the word of God. Bring my parchments because the word of God lives and abides forever. And that's what gave Paul the strength. It comes back to this. Don't throw away what you know because of friends. Don't throw away what you know because of of wives or husbands or children or circumstances or churches or church people. Stick to it because you know what? God said it. He backs up his words and that's why he said he knows. Finally, turn with me to Romans chapter eight again. Paul said, I know my, uh, Job said, I know my Redeemer lives. Paul said, I know all things work together. Paul also said, I know in whom I have believed. Paul also said, I know how to be abased and to abound. But now here's what Paul tells us in his instructions in Romans chapter 8. Take a look at verse 36. He now says, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter." I know what some of you are saying. Bob, I was hoping you'd get to that verse because you know what? That's me. I'm just killed all the day long. I'm just a sheep for the slaughter. I know you're talking about all these things working out in your life, but you know what? Things just don't seem to work out in my life. I am That, that verse is describing me. It's simply for your sake, I'm killed all day long and I'm like a sheep for the slaughter. Read it again. For your sake, we are killed all day long. You're accounted as a sheep for the slaughter. It didn't say you're a sheep for the slaughter. Someone thinks you're asleep, a sheep for the slaughter. It's Satan. He looks at you as a sheep of God and doesn't see you as a sheep. He sees you as lamb chopped roasting on a fire. But you know what? He's not going to have you. Because about the time that coyote comes over the hill to try to grab you as a sheep, he meets sheepdog. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> I may be accounted as a sheep for the slaughter, but I am not a sheep for the slaughter. I'm protected by the scriptures. I'm protected by the Holy Spirit and I'm protected by God himself. Satan, go ahead and try to come at me. I know my redeemer lives. I know I'll face the circumstances of life, but I also know something else. You might even kill me, but to live as Christ, to die is gain. If I die, I'll go straight to heaven. And on top of that, Satan, you're just mad at me because you know what? I'm getting everything you thought you would have. You thought you can go to heaven. You're not going back there. You thought you'd sit right next to God for eternity. That's my place. I'm seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. You're not even going to get to go to heaven. You're going to end up in hell for eternity and then the lake of fire for eternity. That's where you'll be. So Satan, you're just mad because I got everything you thought you were going to have. And you know what? Everything that you have is what I'd have had if I hadn't accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And you can't accept him as Lord and Savior because you got a one-time chance to come against him. You chose to do it and you never got another chance since that time. All the angels that fell with you had a one-time choice. They chose to go with you and they cannot come back. I had the opportunity for a choice every day day of my life, and I took that choice and accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So I may look like a sheep for the slaughter, but I'm not going to be slaughtered. No. Hallelujah. How do you see yourself? As a sheep for the slaughter, or do you see yourself as walking with Jesus Christ, and God promised he would take care of you? You can cry out, I know my Redeemer lives, and boy, do I have a future to look forward to, and that future will be with Jesus forever and forever. David Ingalls wrote a song. I love it. I sing it quite often. And there's one verse in it I cannot forget. At the enemy's lie, it is written, I cry, over and over again. What are we supposed to do to the circumstances of life? We speak to them. What do we say to them? If God be for me, you cannot be against me. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me if you would. Father, Thank you for this word, this penetrating word that lets us know we're never beyond deliverance if we'll just fall back on what we know. Even if we've only been born again for a few days, we know enough to bring us through the circumstances of life if we'll just remember it and speak it to the circumstances of life. It is written, it is written, it is written. Father, we thank you today And I just want to know why your heads are still bowed and no one's looking around. Is there anyone that came here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Savior of your life? Is there anyone? Maybe you were drugged here by somebody else. You thought you were here by accident. You're here by divine design. God wanted you here. Arrange the circumstances. Is there anybody here that would just hold up your hand for a moment and say, Pastor Bob, I've never accepted Jesus I want to be born again. Let me ask you another question while your heads are still bowed. Pastor Bob, this message this morning was just for me. I was so tempted to throw in the towel, but you know what? I'm going to fall back on what I know. Is there anybody here to hold up your hand and say, that was me? Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Father, I thank you for this great congregation. I thank you for this wonderful church. I thank you for the assignment they have here in Manford and surrounding areas to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, this is a time period where people are crying out to know you. It's a great time to witness. Sinners know it, liberals know it. Others that have had different thoughts for our country are saying, this isn't what we asked for. This is not what, what, what's going on. Father, we have the answers for everybody. If they don't know Jesus, they can find eternal life and they can do what you told them to do. Look up for your redemption draws near. Father, we thank you for today. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.